1954, Bing Crosby, already a world-famous Hollywood star, dropped his newest film, White Christmas. Co-starring Danny Kaye, Rosemary Clooney, and Vera Ellen, today it's considered a Christmas classic. Would these wonderful performers know that for almost 70 years their film would be re-watched and re-watched the way that it is? Would they know that their film would help launch new standards for the Christmas catalog? Would they know that White Christmas would become the most recorded Christmas song ever? Well, it is. At least according to the internet. This week, we're covering one of the most cherished Christmas rom-coms. No, not Home Alone, and no, it's not Elf. No, this week we're covering the great musical White Christmas. Featuring memorable songs, incredible dance numbers, and charismatic performances from the entire cast, White Christmas has been a classic for decades, and it looks to remain that way for decades to come. Casters, casters, there were never such devoted disasters. As to casters who made up songs, you grab the checks and I'll grab a bong. When <laughs> I look to the bong, I'm gonna smoke some weed. Oh, this got really inappropriate really quickly. <laughs> Somebody wait for you. Smoke them out for me. <laughs> hey! Hey, everyone. This is our podcast. We've changed formats. Welcome to uh, the happiest most Christmassy Christmas movie podcast where we, we we started off with a song every time. We review some buds with our buds. <laughs> See, it writes itself. <laughs> How are you doing, Ryan? Tell uh, up, update the listeners. I'm still exhausted. Why? Why now? So we've got little Theo. Mm-hmm. He's the most adorable baby in the world. Yeah, he is. He's like, what is he now? He was born February, so he's. I don't know, 11 months old. <laughs> End yeah, of February he was born. Yeah, it's close to 11. He's almost one years old. I'm really looking And you can forward. really tell. Like, he's getting gains. He's like, huge. His his muscles have muscles, and that's saying something for baby. Oh, okay. So he's 26 pounds. Okay. Um, That's big baby. So he's in the heavyweight division. Yeah. Oh, the heavyweight percentile. <laughs> and we've decided to not do Cry It Out for sleeping method and basically families sounds like a cool 80s song way to do things cry it out yeah no it's it's tears for fears third single off of their fifth cry album it out. ryan tell me about it no I, I, do you want me to jazz yeah jazz pop it uh-huh. uh i quit cry it out. i quit i hate doing this uh we decided not to do cry it out and it's kind of it's one of the things where you just kind of have to choose a strategy and stick with it mm-hmm. and cry it out means what it sounds like that you just leave the baby alone in the room and i mean it's more nuanced than this but essentially get them to realize that they don't need to be nursed or anything to go back to sleep um and some families aren't comfortable with that and we're not comfortable with doing that because it just is 
doesn't feel right for us, but it works for others' families, so mm-hmm. we're not going to judge other people, but we can't do it. So yeah, we're we have- not calling you a monster <laughs> if you leave your baby at home alone. <laughs> but, but we have to use alternative methods because the cried out method is basically more the medical thing where if you go to your medical. doctor, yeah, if you go to your doctor and you're like, how do we get them to sleep? They're like, oh, just do cry it out. Well, it's because doctors have no sympathy. <laughs> well, I mean. Empathy, sorry. They have sympathy. When you go, when you go and get your baby born, there are nurses that are clearly the cried out kind of nurses where they're like, she's fine. <laughs> when, when you're she pregnant tosses the baby <laughs> well like when sarah was uh in labor you know things are hard and it's like should she be in this kind of pain and some nurses were like yes deal with it and other nurses like oh that's so terrible we liked those nurses because they actually seem to care <laughs> um so 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 you you're you're in that nurse camp and it's causing you not yeah, to sleep so we're not doing so we're not doing cried out which means we have to try other things which are more indirect to get him to sleep through the night and it's starting to work but it just takes time and so he gets up a lot during the night and so we're sleep deprived and he's 26 pounds and so when i when i get him to go take a nap i have to rock him to sleep wait he's 26 pounds have you have you tried have you tried the the method where you read um george lucas's um early star wars scripts uh no because he would be like you know this isn't super great but i still find it fascinating because that's how i feel about him so i don't think that would do it oh, maybe man, i should setting, read you're him. setting yourself up for like uh either a lot of success or a lot of disappointment when <laughs> maybe i should just read him my own scripts and see. <laughs> oh that's oh wow it's working ryan keep writing scripts the self-deprecating um mode works that's okay i mean if if your script put your baby to bed it would be more successful than my scripts have still ever been (laughs) because at least it had an effect on someone yeah at least at least an audience member responded to it in some way (laughs) uh but yeah that's why i'm tired i i have to rock a 26 year old to the 26 year old (laughs) a 26 pound baby 26 pound baby and so my muscles have muscles too i know they're jacked right now yeah it's it's plain white t-shirt you know it's got that look but don't I look cozy? I'm in my PJs with a hole in my sock. Yeah, those are Sunday socks, as my dad used to say. Yeah, so that's how I'm doing. How are you doing, my you friend? Have giant feet. Yeah. This is a little peek behind the pod. I'm good too. I'm tired, but for other reasons. And that's all I will say about that. I just wanted to update everyone that Kelly and his wife are trying to have babies. So, yeah. Just want to let you put two and two together. You know, if you. Um, Add what's what's that old joke? Add a bed, subtract your clothes. Um, this sounds sp- like the beginning spread, of a bad rap. Spread song. Spread your legs and multiply. Is this a divide little, your legs? And is multiply. this a little John song? No, no. It was a. It's a ninth grader's um, back of the busism. <laughs> oh, I always stayed at the front of the bus to avoid the bad kids. See, that's the only thing that I know that combines math and sex. So. Okay, well, on that note, let's uh, let's dive dive in. What do we uh, What do we got today? We are watching, or no, you're watching. You've watched, and we're talking about. Yeah, you watched it. We talk it. <laughs> Welcome to a gentleman's guide to rom coms. Um, <laughs> this week, we're a couple of doofy people talking about White Christmas. Introduce yourself. My name is Kelly McCrillis. I'm tired guy number one. I'm tired guy number two. Ryan Graves over here. Hello. Hello. Um, and this is the 1954 classic film. I don't know how you, I don't know how your life went where you 
are interested in listening to a romantic comedy podcast, but you haven't seen White Christmas already. Yeah. I don't I don't know if we have any members of our audience that are like that. But if if you've never seen it before, great job. You finally got somewhere that like every single other American probably in the whole world has seen. Yeah. You yeah. know, some people would say this is like the godfather of, you know, Christmas rom coms. Yeah. But mainly the murder. I would call it the White Christmas of White Christmas movies. Of Christmas movies, you yeah. mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the white Christmas of Christmas movies. Hey, speaking of, I've got a game for you to play. You've got a game for me this I've got week? a game for you. you got a game for me? And I'm a little nervous because uh, you challenged me to make up a game, and so I went and diligently made up my game. But then when you came over tonight, you're like, I just did a lot of research on this movie. It's like, uh-oh, my trivia game is about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you're playing checkers, and I'm playing chess. Okay, so uh, we're doing a trivia game about White Christmas. Um, what's what's the name of this game? Uh White Christmas trivia game by Ryan. <laughs> it's <laughs> Ryan's Ryan's trivia talk. Trivia time. Trivia tr- trivia with Ryan. Okay. I'm- a Christmas trivia with Ryan. That's the name of this. It's like a Hallmark Christmas title. Yeah. I've got four trivia questions for you. Okay, is it just straight up trivia? Yes. Okay. I I've played this before. I know how it goes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's a uh, no matter what. If you get them all right, it'll still be informative to the audience. Oh, nice. <laughs> Combining education and entertainment. What's the point of a trivia game? There's a word for that. Trivia. Edutainment. Yeah. Lay it on me, brother. Okay. White Christmas <clears throat> was directed by a director named Michael Curtiz. He is famous for this movie, but he's also famous for one other classic Hollywood film considered to be one of the great Hollywood films of our time. What is that film? Um, I know he did a lot of Westerns early on, um, and then he worked with Errol Flynn a lot. Um, so it's either Adventures of Robin Hood, but I know he also did Casablanca. Both are correct. Yes. Extra credit. Yes. <laughs> give give me a gi- give me a candy cane. He directed both the Robin Hood movie and Casablanca and White Christmas, and I think he's one of the most underrated directors. Overlooked completely. Yeah, that we don't talk about. Those are the... I haven't seen the Robin Hood movie, but obviously you've seen Casablanca all the time. Okay, yeah. Casablanca is great for all the reasons, and one day we'll talk about that movie, but since we'll probably never get into Robin Hood again, um, if you like sword fights in film... Uh, I just watched Attack of the Clones for the hundredth time, so obviously I do. This... I don't know, like we'd probably have Attack of the Clones anyway, but the amount of choreography and like good sword fighting that is in uh, Adventures of Robin Hood, which is the name of the movie, uh-huh. it is astounding. Like it's giving me goosebumps just remembering it. Uh, it's That movie is one that everybody should go back to. The costumes are great. The acting mm. is great. The action is like out of this world for the, its time. It, really go watch it. Uh, okay. Second question. Lay it on me. Bing Crosby and Bob Hope made the road to whatever movies. You are a fan of these films, as you've told me many times. Mm-hmm. How many movies of the road to movies did they make? Mm, I've seen the box set. 
I'm I'm pretty sure my parents own it. Um, I, it's either five or six. I'm gonna say six. It's seven. Seven? Ah, oh, no. Lucky number seven. Can I try to name some of them? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't know. So. Okay, you got Road to Morocco, Road to Bali, Road to. That's all I got. <laughs> What's that office quote when Jim is doing the office Olympics and Kevin eats all his M&Ms? No one should even try to beat that. <laughs> so good job. Um, okay, you got me. Okay. I mean, that's uh, one out of two so far. Okay. This film is called White Christmas, in which they sing White Christmas twice. In what film did the song White Christmas actually make its debut? Um, it actually made its debut. This one's easy for me in Holiday Inn, mm-hmm. um, which was correct, 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 done correct. by Irving Berlin. But it also mm-hmm. was in a second movie before this one in 1946. I think it's called The Blue Lake. I don't know if it's The Blue Lake, but I do know it's in another movie. So yeah. bonus points again. Who? Who? You're doing great. You, you. you are doing mm. great. I need to make this these. This is exactly what I needed tonight. I need to make these way harder. So. Lay me on this last one. Is this the hardest one? Did you save the hardest for last? No, because you, you, you probably know. I, I could probably start asking the question and you'll answer it before <clears throat> it. Okay. This film was nominated for one Oscar. What was that nomination for? Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I'm going to say best song? I think it's either best song or best score, but music, yes. Okay. Um, I know that Irving Berlin, when he accepted... He is the only person to give himself his own Oscar in presentation. Hmm? So generally speaking, the Oscars works like this when it's not a, a rom-com Oscar. Um, All right. The winner from last year, especially in the actors categories, right. generally gives the Oscar to this year's recipient. And um, he was the presenter and he ended up winning oh. that year as well. You know, they fixed that with the actor thing because they do a gender swap each time. So mm-hmm. it's the best actor gives to best actress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you ever think they'll combine categories and do Just, a gender blind kind of thing? Um, they may. I, I think it's probably I think it's years out though. Yeah. So, um, They're starting to do that at festivals. be interesting to see if Oscars do it too. You win the game. Yeah, Good for you. Yeah, I win the game. Uh, next time I'm going to be way tougher. I'm probably just going to pick a completely not rom-com movie. I'm, I'm just going to ask you about like Warren Beatty's Bugsy from 1992 and just make you no, do trivia No, no, that. that's no fun. Like the 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 spice of these games is trying to stump them stump us on on this platform we know so much about. Yes. Um hey. Hey, Covey. Whoa. Whoa. Hey. Hey, Bing. Hey. Oh, <laughs> hey. Uh, hi. Oh, hi. Um Ryan. <laughs> Will you tell me a story about <laughs> Anybody want a peanut? So you sound like. <laughs> tell me a story. Okay, here's a story. Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. I ask you about love, probably quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter, and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean, that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. This movie opens in 1944, World War II. Yep. 
Sorry. Eastern I'm so, Front. I'm so glad this is radio because my hands are doing like a Donald Trump thing and I'm already <laughs> embarrassed. <laughs> no, you're, uh, it's, not, it's not Donald Trump. It's a, um, it's like a, a very expressive um, New Yorker. Have you noticed that Donald Trump does this thing like, push my poker chips, push my poker chips, no. push the poker chips. <laughs> I've been trying not to watch. <laughs> Uh, 1944, Eastern Front, uh-huh. or Eastern Front? No, they're in, they're in Western Front. Yeah, Western Front in Europe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah the European Front. front. They're, they're, they're somewhere Germany. in Germany or France. Yeah. Um, and Bing Crosby and Danny Kay are putting on a little uh, soft shoe for the for the troops. They're doing a little USO tour for, yeah. for their buddies. Yeah, and uh, you know, soft shoe is something that I want to learn how to do because of all the tap dancing, it looks the least hard. I don't think it's a real thing. I think it's just you. But that's tapping what your Bing feet. Crosby is doing. No, because yeah. he's he's just it's like a slide tap, slide tap, and he's like, <laughs> um, Bing Crosby, who um, out of these two guys is, I, I think he he plays the straight man to Danny Kaye's um, yeah, comp comedian, but like he's the singer, Danny Kaye's the dancer. Yeah. Um, do you know who else was considered? This is hey, welcome back to trivia time. Um, you know who else was considered for the role? Of Danny uh, Kay. Uh, Donald O'Connor. Yes, he was, but after uh, Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire. So Fred Astaire, right. like they were initially going to try to like recreate the magic of Holiday Inn. And then Fred Astaire was like, I'm retired. It took too long to get this movie into production. So he's like, I'm not going to do it. Donald O'Connor was supposed to do it, got sick. And then Danny Kay came in and he was like, Sure, I'll do it for two hundred thousand dollars <laughs> and a percentage on the back end, thinking he they'd never go for it. But he didn't think they they were going to give him the part anyway. And then they did because they just didn't want to waste any more time waiting for Donald O'Connor. Like, oh, fine. So he got paid. I like that he that Freddie Sarah was quote unquote retired, and then a year or two later he makes funny face. Yeah, quote unquote. <laughs> and I can just imagine Bing Crosby going up to him like, "What up?" Like, <laughs> "Hey, hey." Yeah, so they're soft shoeing for a whole bunch of troops. And then they sing White Christmas and it's very very pleasant. Yeah, and they're singing it for um they they're putting on this sh- this slam bang finish to the year on the Christmas for who? They're the general. Mm-hmm. Um who is their leader and uh their leader that they respect. And I want to put this out here. This movie more than anything is about respect. That's what this movie is about. It's about how we respect each other because the romance is kind of built on mutual respect and trust. And a lot of the things that the characters do for the general later on in this film is based on respect. Cool. I can't wait to get into that then. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll keep that in mind. Um, Then basically they send the general away. And, you know, I love when when the like the general, you kind of get his personality as soon as like there's. Basically, this is changeover happening where the general is is getting shoved to the back and there's a new general coming in to like take over. Right. Um, And I think our general Waverly is a two star general. And so he's moving up the line, but back from the front. Um, And he wants some more time for his men to like not have this sucky, like really strict general come in and ruin things. And so he sends the general on one of those, hey, private, take a shortcut deals and it's just you immediately get that this guy is a good boss so it reminds me follow me don't get lost uh you've seen band of brothers right i've only seen the first like five episodes oh man yeah uh there's the character the lead guy can't remember his name but he's he starts as like a soldier but he very quickly goes up the ranks and Uh becomes a leader and there's an episode where they have to go on this raid um on on the lines 
this is during World War II, and it's like something that's like super risky, and it's like it's just dangerous and not worth it. So basically, he makes up this this account of oh no, we we did the raid, but he doesn't put his men through it because it would just oh, been like yeah, it would have just been like cannon fodder. Yeah, cool. And it's like this guy's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I like a I like a boss who a chill boss. Like I've always wanted a chill boss and I feel like I've almost never had one. <laughs> you always want a boss that is leading, not pushing. Right. And is leading by example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So then there's a bombing uh, raid by the enemy and there's a building about to collapse on Bing Crosby, but his uh, buddy, um, Danny K. Danny K just comes in and saves his life, but oh no, arm gets hurt in the process. Uh oh. And he, Danny K, uses that to basically be like, you know, we're both entertainers. Let's put a show back together. Let's be uh, partners when we get yeah, out of this. Yeah, in New York, and they do, and it's a montage time. Everybody montage. Oh. Everybody montage. And they they got this nice little act together. The nice little duo. So things go so right. Noticing the days hurry and by when you're in love, my heart they fly. Oh, blue days. All of them gone. Yeah. And what do you think about their acts? Um, for I guess the so are we to understand that they've been doing this act for ten years because the movie was made in fifty four and they're basically like this was ten years ago and they've been doing it ever since. Mm, well, I think no, I don't think so. I, well, when does this movie take place? I'm pretty sure it takes place. Um, I feel like five years because there's there's something where they've been working together for a while. Yeah, and uh, then we see that their show. Um, has been running for two years oh. on one of the signs. Okay. And so I think it's more like five years yeah. on from the war or so. Yeah. I mean, I, I would guess just because like if you're making a movie over the course of like 1952, 1953, yeah. maybe that's when it's set is like a Yeah, you got to wait until Christmas to release it. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Um, so they have this act. And so we catch up to them in their current day, <laughs> whenever this is. Um, and... Their plan is to go to New York, but before they go to New York, they're down in Florida um, doing their act, but they, they got to go check out this other act because they got a letter from their army buddy mm-hmm. says, check out my sisters there. We got to go check out this act, then we'll get on the train and go, we'll go back to New York, go home. Right. And the essential premise of like, like there's this great scene when they are in their dressing room, right? And they only cut once during the scene and they're tossing shoes back and Mm -hmm. forth to each other. And Donald O'Connor basically lays out on the line, like his needs for the movie. And it's to get Bing Crosby married. Yeah. Like that's a, that's the great dramatic need. I was, I was watching this movie and just being like, this is going to be like, if Ryan and I were single in the biz, this would be us in five, 10 years. Yeah. You have to get married. Yeah. I, I have a bone to pick with you. Can I pick this now with you? Um, don't don't quote me the price when I don't got the time. Oh God, go ahead. Uh, it's just it seems that if you were to place one another, me and you, into uh-huh. these shoes, yes, who would be who? Mm, Well, I feel like uh, I am a little bit more sprightly than you. And so immediately my brain jumps to me being Danny Kaye. Yeah, that's where I'm going with. Okay. And I'll be grumpy being Crosby. Okay. Um, uh, Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess so. There there were the early days, you know, before Sarah that, you know, you could have spent more time getting me married. Well, yeah, but I didn't want to get you married. I wanted to get you laid. Oh, 
Sorry, that didn't work either. <laughs> well, I know, but um, I was also, I think when, when you're Danny Kay and you're Bing Crosby, you've got, these guys are rich now. Like, like kind of, they, they can shell out like extra money. Robin and I did the math for their train tickets that they have to buy impromptu later on. Yeah, those are some expensive tickets, but they are doing the entire East Coast. Sure, the entire East Coast, but in today's money, that would have cost them $967. Well, those are, those are two tickets. I know, so total. Yeah. But, like, that's that's a load of cash to have on your person. Oh, yeah. And they're, they're I'm, I'm still confused about what their show is. It's... It's a variety act. It's, it's a variety it's music. Act. And right, it's, right, right, right. It's, you know, it's, it's not like thing. a Broadway show. It's just more of like, we're going to come out and perform a bunch of song and dance It's numbers. like the Rat Pack. They would come out, right, they would right, sing, right, right. do a little comedy, <sighs> sing again. would get drunk. Oh, Sam man. Davis Jr. would do impressions. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's much more bombastic. Yeah. Because here's another piece of trivia. Who's doing all their choreography for this film? They're doing choreography... That guy? Bob Fosse. Bob Fosse? Uncredited. No way. Yahweh. This is before he did any of his big movies. Damn, but Daniel. He was like, I, I don't think he was lead, but he was doing a lot of the choreography on this. Okay. Well, anyway, so yeah, I'm sorry for not getting you married sooner. <laughs> you it still got married out. before me. I don't know what your your deal is. It all worked out. It all worked <laughs> yeah. out. I think, I think you took care of it yourself, and I, I should have finagled more. Um, but maybe I finagled some and I just didn't tell you about it. We had some good times, you know, staying at home, playing video games together, eating pizza, drinking alcohol. Yeah. (sighs) (laughs) So back to the story. Um, they meet with these girls and they, uh, are gorgeous. It's Rosemary Clooney and Vera Allen. Very lovely women. And they've got an act and they do their sister's act. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, sister act. I just got that. <laughs> and very much like Bing Crosby and um, and Danny Kaye, we have a dancer and a singer. Yeah. Where Danny Kaye and Bing Crosby can do, a, like, Danny Kaye is a really good dancer, but and he's like an okay singer. Um, Bing Crosby's a really good singer yeah. and like kind of an okay dancer. These two push the other ends of the spectrum where Vera Ellen is one of the world's best dancers and Rosemary Clooney at the time was one of the most famous singers. But does not But dance. does not dance. Like she kind of um twirls. Yeah. But she, that's the extent of it. She um the sisters scene, um, she actually like they gave her the prop with the uh, the big fans because yeah. she couldn't really do much dancing, and so she they were like, well, let's give them props because it'll kind of distract from yeah. the lack of dancing. Yeah. But she has a great voice and she actually sings in, I think, three of the songs. She does Vera Ellen's voice because Vera Ellen can't sing and doesn't sing in this whole film. Does she? I read that that was a rumor, but that nope. might not be true. No. Uh, her. I did some deep dive research on this. Um, Rosemary Clooney did three of the songs and Trudy, I can't remember her last name, but another singer did, um, the rest of the songs for her. And not only that, but, uh, Rosemary, Ryan just picked up the, uh, the soundtrack. soundtrack. Rosemary Clooney is not on that soundtrack. It says Rosemary Clooney on it. Right. So what happened was, uh, when they released the soundtrack for the film, Rosemary Clooney had a deal with Columbia. And so she recorded all of her songs for an album with Columbia and they had, Peggy Smith do all of hers 
uh, her songs on the um, Paramount soundtrack. Yeah, I'm looking at the soundtrack and it says the, oh, I'm sorry. Here's the problem. So in my, you know how I'm a Blu-ray collector. Sure. So I got the deluxe diamond edition, the four disc set. And it's like, it's got the Blu-ray, it's got the DVD, it's got bonus features, and it's got the CD soundtrack. And I'm looking at the CD soundtrack, just the cover of it. And you know what it says? It says the sounds of Christmas. Right. It doesn't even say white Christmas. It says the sounds of Christmas. What is this doing in my white Christmas Blu-ray? Because they couldn't use her voice for the soundtrack. I mean, I don't know if that's why they're doing that, but I know it was like a big to-do. Because this hat, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer by (laughs) Bing Crosby and Judy Garland. She's not even in this. She doesn't even go here. Do you even go to this school? No. I just have a lot of feelings. Okay, go home. But Judy Garland, also a mezzo-soprano, or a contra-alto, just like Rosemary Clooney. Judy Garland, Spirit of St. Louis, Family Stone. Meet me in St. Louis? Right. What did I say? <laughs> like the Spirit of St. Louis. Jimmy Stewart played him. <laughs> it's, a, it's a plane. I know. <laughs> um, so they meet up with these girls and um, they're trying to like get, let's, let's talk about these couples because this is really where we first meet them together as the potential couples that they will be. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You got Bing and uh, Rosemary. Rosemary. Um, and they immediately have kind of a friction. Which is, you know... But a charming one. Yeah, and it's that kind of like, ooh, there's some heat here. And I love when they first like are left alone because um, both... Like where where Danny Kaye's thing is, he wants 45 minutes all to himself. And that's why he's trying to like get Bing married. Um, Vera Ellen wants to like stop being mama henned by her sister so much. And so she and Danny Kay are like trying to push those two together. And so they leave and dance and the way that they like that Rosemary Clooney and Bing Crosby slowly get closer and closer to each other as they're fighting at the table Mm -hmm. is some Buster Keaton esque comedy. Yeah. It's really brilliant uh, staging, you know, next time watch the movie and just watch how they just are closer, physically closer to each other at the end of the scene. Yeah. Slowly, but surely. And he'll like put his hand on her hand even as they're arguing about something mm-hmm. and she doesn't pull away. And it's like, like they did you know, romance a little differently in the 1950s, but you know, it's, it's very charming. And you know, this is why we should praise Michael Curtiz because you know, when you look at Casablanca, it's not like there's filmmaking going on. That's like revolutionary. It's not like they broke the mold. It's not like citizen Kane where there's all these new things happening. And it's like, Oh my gosh, I didn't know movies could be like this back in the day. It's all very simple, but mm-hmm. it's very just, Everything is well done. Yes. It's just established and, you know, done the way it ought to be without trying too hard. And and he kind of like lives in the wide and tr- like he, he seems like that director who trusts his actors to play in a space. Yeah. Because, I mean, you have to do that in a musical. But even even some of the dialogue scenes feel more like they're being shot for musical. And he's just like. I'm letting you guys really chew the scenery here yeah. rather than working for a cut. Yeah. yeah. And he never he never forces anything with a close-up because he there's only one close-up and I'm going to save, I'm going to put it in my pocket and I'm going to talk about that close-up later in the movie, later Is in it the show. The, this one? Uh, no, I don't know what you're doing with your hands, but it looks very uh, grotesque. We'll get to it. <laughs> um, 
So uh, while they're getting closer to each other at the table, but also arguing, um, we get this extended dance sequence with Danny Kay and um, Vera Ellen, where like they're so they have so much physical chemistry together, yeah. and and also just chemistry, chemistry. I think where yeah. where Bing Crosby and Rosemary Clooney do have like this kind of combative chemistry, like the mischievousness of this couple kind of uh, like comes together as they're dancing. Yeah. And it's uh, beautiful to watch. You know, in, in my top five of like dancing couples, mm-hmm. you would have like uh, Fred and Ginger, um, but then you have an American Paris with Gene Kelly and Leslie Crone. Um, these guys are like right there. Like right behind them, I would say just as a pair, they they work really well together. I'd say my other favorite dancing couple is probably Donald O'Connor and Gene Kelly. Yeah, yeah, your Moses and your like supposes. Your Moses supposes is one of the I for me one of the all time dance numbers. Not a super romantic number. No, definitely not. <laughs> so I wanted to bring this up because this scene is basically they're dancing on the dance floor, and there's some musicals especially ones set in like the forties or fifties where people are dancing anyway. And then that dance turns into a musical number, right? Because there's just a dance floor that they're dancing on and there's a band playing and there's a bunch of other people dancing and then they go outside and dance and they're transported to this magical world where they're both amazing dancers and performers. And they're just dancing along to the music in this choreographed number that doesn't exist. Like, right. It's the, it's the musical uh, suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Um, I recently watched uh, Jingle Jangle. Um, How was that? Well, there, there's a sense of, uh, I, I want to say that like Jingle Jangle wasn't for me and I'll, I'll leave that where it was, uh, where it is, but like as a musical though, like in the, the like tradition well, of all is, musicals, this is what I'm, this is what I'm coming to it with is um, musicals I think are hard to like strike a tone with because you, you want to create like a space where, you know, a a real world exists, but it's also a real world that exists that musical numbers can happen in. Right. Yeah. And you have different ranges. And so you've got the Fred and Ginger movies, Mm -hmm. you've got Baz Luhrmann movies, right? Where the whole, the whole world expresses itself through dance and music. You've got Rogers and Hammerstein, Right, where it's where it's like we have drama and then music and then drama. <laughs> like I'm in Oklahoma and I'm going to sing about the sunrise for some reason. Exactly. Good song. But in Jingle Jangle it a lot of that movie felt like there there were instances where it felt contrived to me. Was it too Baz Luhrmann? Um yeah, there like I like Baz Luhrmann actually, but it, it did that without getting me on board with it for some reason where it's like, we're all happy and we're all doing this amazing, happy, dancey thing because, but I don't, I don't know that, that movie, I I'm, I'm going to have to like kind of watch again to really wrap my head around it. Um, but this movie walks so seamlessly from real world into musical and back into real world again. And I think a, a worse musical is one that kind of is like, we're in real world. We're dancing. We're in real world. We're singing. Yeah. So white Christmas is in the, I don't know what you want to call it. It's in the Fred and ginger mold. And I would Mm -hmm. say the Fred and ginger movies kind of helped invent this genre. Um, You know, 
prehistory of musicals, you know, they were really invented for when sound films started. Um, and the very first musicals, they had to sing on set, right? Because <laughs> they didn't really have the whole, you know, recording, like dubbing thing worked out yet. So they had to do it on set. So the musical numbers, if there was singing was very basic because you couldn't really move around and cause things would be recorded poorly, but it got to this point where in the late thirties, I think 38 or 39 was when we got the first Fred and Ginger movie. Mm-hmm. And the whole conceit of every one of those films, as I understand it is, they are playing characters who are dancers. Right. And I that's mean, their profession. Even without Fred and Ginger, like uh, let's take Easter Parade with Julie, Judy Garland. Uh-huh. He needs her to come dance in a show with him. Yeah. So a lot of those those early musicals, the conceit was already started. It's like we can believe that these people are doing these wonderful acts of song and dance because that's what they do. Yeah. The it's Uncanny Valley is like kind of lifted from that character. You, you have like a, oh, um, uh, this is weird and I can't believe that you guys are doing, well, I guess I can. Yeah. You're all really good dancers and singers. Maybe you just, it's like hanging out with theater kids where every once in a while somebody will just burst out into song and everybody will start singing and you're like, well, you're theater oh, okay. kids. That's yeah, what you do. That makes sense. Whereas in Greece, you have this guy who's smoking a cigarette and suddenly needs to sing about his new love and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, okay. I, I thought uh, I thought you guys were just high school kids, but apparently you're some like super freakish talented high school kids. Well, I mean, that's like, why can't I think of this movie? Jets, Sharks. West Side Story. West Side Story. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Because um, also Bob Fosse. Yeah. Also one of the guys, the young guy who's in the um, that Done Me Wrong. Beautiful, pretty man from that. Yeah. <laughs> is Bernardo yeah. in West Side Story. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, this, yeah this, this kind of fits in that mold of we're performers anyway. And so we're just going to, we're going to perform our emotions. Out so there here. is a seamlessness where I have a harder time with the Baz Luhrmann thing where it's like, we're just going to go all out. It's like, why? <laughs> like, <laughs> I need you to have a reason. It's like, because love it's like, okay. Yeah. And it's, it's like, it has to be done so seamlessly in that regard because you, you have this confidence taken away from you. Cause it's not like these are actors and singers and dancers. And so they're, sh- they should be good at this. And that's why it works for Baz Luhrmann because love him or hate him. He just dives in head first into making the movies that he makes. And mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know what it is, but he's got it. I know. I know a lot of people, I don't know. It feels like it's really easy to, uh, beat up on, um, Gosh, my brain is so Chicago? dead tonight. No. Uh, Boston? Seattle. Ooh, ooh, Vienna. That's from Friends. <laughs> Not Stephen Sondheim. Who did uh, Phantom of the Opera, Cats? Um, Mannheim Steamroller. No. <laughs> God. Um, Look it up. I know this person. Andrew Lloyd Webber. Thank you. Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, it's, I, I feel like he's everybody's punching bag these days, but- um, Phantom is another one of those musicals where it's like, they're at an opera. So of course they're all good singers that are going to like sing about things. And you know, the Phantom's writing a bad opera this whole time. And so he's going to be singing all the time. Cause he's one of those annoying people that sings about his music. Right. Um, I like Phantom of the opera, but so I think that's why that one works best of all his, his stuff. Right. So, so, Anyway, back to this. We get one of the great scenes of all time, which is Danny Kay and Bing Crosby covering for the girls because they're running away from the sheriff because of this thing, whatever. It's antics. And Danny Kay gives them the train tickets and then they perform Sisters, which is one of the funniest things ever put onto film. Sisters, sisters, 
There were never such devoted sisters Never had to have a chaperone, no sir I'm here to keep my eye on her Caring I mean, it's it's kind of drag. It's kind of camp. It's just it's just yeah. really fun. And Bing Crosby was like a little iffy about doing this scene, but Danny Kaye like started like playing with him more and slapping him. Yeah. And by the end of it, they were just having like a great time. So I'm glad they pulled that off. But it wasn't in the script. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. I'm gonna table getting into the musical sequences just so we can finish telling our story. Yeah. Uh, because we're yeah. gonna get distracted. We'll, we'll talk about so the musical sequence stories. afterwards. But anyways, hijinks happen. Uh, Danny Kay gets these girls to go on a train because he wants to keep uh, getting his buddy. He still wants to be the wingman for his buddy. Uh-huh. And so they're like, yeah, we're going to Vermont. And he's like, oh, maybe we'll go to Vermont. And so he gets them on the train. And they do go to Vermont. And they go to Vermont. And the the sisters, the, the what are they called? They're the sisters who played the, the Oh, they're song. the... Um... The Haynes, the Haynes sisters, the Haynes sisters. They're scheduled to play. Do you think the, that every little thing that they are wearing part of that song is their Haynes underwear? Oh, <laughs> that that would be that would be. <laughs> anyway, continue. This is Hollywood's first product placement. Hey, how's your train? I'm sorry that I disrailed it. <laughs> it's smoking in a pile of logs. Um. They have to go to this inn in Vermont because they're scheduled to perform there for like a month or something. Right. They have like mm-hmm. a month-long residency. And wouldn't it be fun to be a performer in these days where you just have residencies? Yeah, where you just go perform. It's it, like I think the most modern equivalent of this is probably cruise ships. Yeah. Um, but like to go live in Vermont for a winter just performing for people in like that giant, beautiful inn, which is also the same inn from Holiday Inn. Oh, yeah. Sounds lovely. Incestuous. Yeah. <laughs> so they get there and they sing about snow on the way and they're so excited to get yeah. the snow. They get there. A, no snow. <laughs> Did you notice when they got off the train and they start singing snow again after they've decided, oh, this is fine. The They're singing snow in front of like their car, their driver who's come to pick them up and he's just standing there smiling at them like, the fuck are you guys doing <laughs> what are these people Why are you singing <laughs> do they understand that it's not um and that's the only scene where vera allen actually sings oh right is that exterior because they had to do it live they had to yeah had because to it, it well i mean i don't know if they had to they could have voiced her over but but it's just yeah. it's just a 10 second refrain. yeah it, and and she's she has a fine voice i yeah. think she just couldn't have carried all the songs probably yeah. uh so they get to the end which it's already uh empty in there and the lady because who, no snow no snow means no guests, which means no residency, which wah wah sucks. Uh, but then, then they meet the proprietor of the inn, and what do you know? It's their old general. Yay! What's the actor's name? General Guy. General Guy. General Guy Pierce. He's a sword wielder. <laughs> Hold on. His name, I looked him up earlier too. Uh, Dean Yeager. Yeah, let's do some Jaeger bombs, Mr. Jaeger. Or Jagger. Dean General Jagger. Jaeger. Could, General Jaeger. Mick Jagger. Um, and he uh, he's the owner of this inn, and he's lost all of his money trying to like put it back together. And so he needs... This is the central problem now that they have to solve. He needs guests. He needs guests. Otherwise, he's going to lose all of his money in the farm in the inn. Yeah. Yo, no. And he's really charming. And he's got his granddaughter there who I wanted to know their story. Yeah. It's like, where's mom? Yeah. Maybe he's adopted her. Like, I want to know a movie. I want to see that their movie. Well, here's my headcanon. She's there for winter break 
because mom is an alcoholic. Go watch your grandpa lose the farm. <laughs> I need to go drink my wiles away. Uh, so uh, Bing and Danny are like, well, let's save the general. Mm-hmm. Let's put on our biggest show. It'll bring people from miles around. To bring in everyone from the Northeast. And I'm guessing that the the, the canon of the show is basically saying like, yeah, they're basically as famous as the Rat Pack. Yeah, I, I feel like like they they're being written up in a whole bunch of newspapers as we get in that montage earlier like every maitre d in the world knows who they are yeah so, so. it'd be like it would be like if Keanu Reeves was going to hang out in Oregon. It's like, well, everyone in the tri-state area would want would want to come by. It's like if, oh, okay, it's more like if Neil Patrick Harris like put on his own variety show and I'd go. Yeah. I'd, I'd be more willing to go if it was Keanu Reeves, but I'd still go to Neil Patrick Harris's show. No, I'd much ra- to go to a variety show put on by one of those two. Wouldn't I'll- it be weird if it was Keanu Reeves? I mean, it'd be so weird <laughs> sure, you guys okay. see it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> He's like, oh, I'm going to play guitar. But if I'm watching song and dance numbers, obviously. Have you ever seen Bill and Ted? You have. I yeah. made you watch it with us. He can He can play air guitar. It's not the same thing. He doesn't sing in either of those movies, which is about a band. I think they do sing at one point in time. They try. It's really bad. It's really bad. Excellent. So they set about trying to save the inn. And that's pretty much the rest of this movie in terms of like the the day-to-day mm-hmm. scenery that it's we're seeing a lot of the show that they're preparing. Right. Like every most musical breaks have to do with like getting a preview of the show. Yeah. 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 And so we're either seeing a rehearsal of it or we're seeing the full production of it. And the whole time, basically, Bing is slowly falling in love with Rosemary Clooney and vice versa. And the other two aren't necessarily falling in love with each other. Maybe Vera Ellen is falling in love with Danny Kaye, but it's not necessarily returned at first. Yeah, I I thought this was weird. It's like Danny Kaye is resistant to having good chemistry with her. I, I think, um, so this is, there's, there's this scene where they're conniving, um, and she's like moving closer to him on the couch that they're on and he keeps backing up and he compares her to a cocker spaniel. And it really felt like he was, to me, it felt coded as like Danny Kaye's character is gay. And I don't know why, but I've thought that ever since I was like 15. Oh, interesting. Um, but you're like, how could this guy not want to be with her? Oh, doesn't want to hurt her feelings because yeah. he's not interested. But I, I think it's what the movie is trying to say after taking a much harder look at it this time <laughs> is that he like she's talking about pretending to be married and he's just not wanting to commit. And they're playing it up for laughs as him being like, oh, I don't know about it. But he's like super nervous. Yeah. Like, and Danny Kaye plays a fun nervous, but. But but they very very clearly have really good chemistry with they one do, another, which and, is why it's surprising to me that he's not all over that. Yeah, I I, I just thought wouldn't it make more sense for the him to just be like, sweet, this is great. I mean, I would have like I think Vera Ellen and Rosemary Clooney both at different points in time in this movie informed my sexuality growing up. <laughs> so like I was Say just more like about I was that. like, what are you doing, Danny Kay? Lean in. So your perfect woman is pretty much a combination of them. Um, I, and they they weren't the only people who informed my sexuality. <laughs> they were just um, they were just part and parcel to it. Does Robin sing? Have I heard Robin sing? Yeah, Robin sings. Well, she she, she sang on, on the, the, the movie. Yeah. That you're, you're but does doing. she sing just elsewhere? And yeah, in the shower, she sings. Um, 
you know, Christmas songs. She, she, um, she really likes doing voices. And I think she really, she really likes singing. We've actually written a couple songs together, but I think, um, she more so likes composing. Yeah. She's a swell musician. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like her voice. She's got a real nice voice. Mm-hmm. Sarah also sings though. Yeah. She was also on that soundtrack. Yeah. She has, she, she sings a smoking song about, um, coffee. <laughs> we can't wait to show this movie to you. you yeah. Guys. Yeah. It'll be cool. We'll, we'll do a link sometime. Uh, so there's a misunderstanding that takes place and this is where the rom-com plotting happens. Where yeah, this oh, is the most no, rom-com. It's a misunderstanding. So now Rosemary Clooney is actually mad at being, and, and the, like you can almost miss it if, if you don't catch it at first, basically the, the innkeeper who's played by Mary Wilkes, um, I think is her name. She is Great, great character actor from like the 40s through the 60s, 70s. She's great. Um, she listens in on all the phone calls and she she hears half a conversation where Bing is trying to basically get this universe's Ed Sullivan to allow him to get all of the uh, army guys to come to the show to like, you know, make the general feel better because the general wants to join the army and he can't anymore. He's feeling old. Yeah. And, but she hears what? Uh, she hears really the TV guy saying, oh, here's a situation we can exploit and make and get look- you guys a whole bunch of free advertising. Yeah. Basically by y- filming your show for you and use this guy and exploit this guy for yeah. your, for our advantage. And so she tells Rosemary Clooney and then Ros- Rosemary Clooney, um, you know what, Ryan, Rosemary Clooney doesn't talk to him about it. She doesn't, nope, she, she doesn't just bring it up about it. And I think this might be, since this is where they took a break from each other, this might be a good time for us to take a break Okay, we'll because this is going to lead right into trope talk. Excellent. So welcome to Trope Talk, Car Talk, for people who like rom-coms. All right. <laughs> um, we just left you off with the fact that Rosemary Clooney found out some damning information. One would call it gossip. One would call it sipping the tea, uh, if you were a modern kid. Do they sip tea? I think it's called sipping tea. I thought you don't want to spill the tea. Spill the tea. That's it. Right? Don't spill hey, the tea. Hey, kids. I'm a, I'm a teen, too. They spill the tea. Um she spills the tea and, or she drinks it. I'm not sure which, um, let's avoid the idiom if we don't understand it. She just doesn't talk to him about this misunderstanding. At first she's like, it can't be true. And then Mary Wilkes is like, it is true. And she's like, Oh, I met you three days ago, but I'm going to trust you. Yeah. And not talk to Ben Crosby. And so even though they had a hot night the night before talking about buttermilk and liverwurst sandwiches and lots of hot, sexy fire talk and kisses, she's just, Basically, like any any time Danny Kay or Bing Crosby says anything, it just reconfirms her her suspicion, her assumption, her assumption, and she breaks it off. Yeah. Ryan, why is this a trope in our genre? Is it the misunderstanding trope you're saying? Yeah. Um, well, the misunderstanding without <laughs> communicating about it, I think, is the is is something that comes back. We come back to and we see over and over again. I, on a bad day, it's just to throw in some conflict to a movie where they haven't thought out the plot. Correct. On a good day, it's a simple conflict that can be simply tied back together for a efficient 
perfectly plotted film, mm-hmm. which is why it works in this movie, is because you don't want to take a lot of time to have an actual conflict that gets really deep mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's like, it's a happy music. We're keeping this surface level. Everything's nice and shiny and bright. We don't need to it's the like fifties. We don't need to get into like any kind of like Freudian nightmare of any kind of like s- relational problems. We just want to have something that we can solve quickly. Mm-hmm. That's what happens in this movie in hitch. It's frustrating because it's like you have made characters in hitch to be logical, thoughtful people who investigate issues but when this issue comes up, you just take everything at face value and you don't investigate this thing, which is kind of shattering to your view of someone. So wouldn't you want to investigate it? Sure. Wouldn't you want to follow up on it? And it takes a while for the characters to catch up. And I think I think in this movie, the reason it works is because uh, it's basically been a weird whirlwind romance slash hangout slash put on a show with these people. And so everything has been a high of just go, 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 be with each other, kiss each other. And Rosemary Clooney kind of has a, as we get in one scene, she has like a, a thing where she oftentimes puts men on white, as she describes it, she puts knights on white horses. And, um, so she's waiting, it seems like she's waiting for somebody to fall off. And once she gets like, a sniff of that, then she's willing to believe it. Yeah. And I still think it's, it's not necessarily lazy writing. I, uh, if, if you do it anytime, I, I just think it's a, it's one of those things where you have to believe that this character has enough pride or I think as you're going to say, respect, um, that they don't, they don't face the facts head on. Yeah. And I think I think it works because when she first meets Bing, his whole thing is like, well, everybody's got an angle. Right. And we learned that it wasn't uh, the sister's brother who sent a letter in. It was this. It was Vera Ellen who was posing as the brother mm-hmm. who sent the letter to say, check out our act. And Bing's like, nice, you got us. You tricked us. I get it. Everyone's got an angle. We've so got she's angles. expecting that he has an angle. So she's just assuming or she's just waiting for that fault. It's like, here's his angle. He says that he's got, everyone's got an angle. This is his angle. Mm-hmm. And that's why I understand her just taking it and be like, yep, there it is. Right. I mean, I, I, like Robin and I were sitting there watching this on the couch and just being like, just talk to him. It'd be that easy. Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a game breaker as sometime this trope can be where I, I like to call it the post-it note where if you, if you can write the problem or the question down on a post-it note, hand it to somebody and they could write something on the post-it note back <laughs> as simple and in such a small space and that line of communication could fix a problem, then it probably shouldn't be in your movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, in this movie, it, it doesn't bother me as much as it generally does. Yeah, and I think it's always acceptable. Not good necessarily, but acceptable. If if I'm watching it and the conflict comes up and I go, no! <laughs> like, if I really care, I'm like, 
this is bad for them. This is keeping because them the movies convince you to care for each other. Then it, yeah, yeah. then I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. I'll yeah, definitely yeah. take it. Mm-hmm. I, I would prefer something better, but in this, I like it this way because it's a musical, and I would rather you spend the time singing and dancing, not working things out. Right, right, right. And it and it gives him something to do that isn't singing and dancing for a while. Like I, I'm looking at. Um, some of your other Christmas movies that you have um, over here. And I see it's a wonderful life. Mm -hmm. The big issue in that movie is the fact that there's this villain, right? Yeah. Who takes and hides George Bailey's money. And so his not telling his family about what is going on is extremely understandable because he is worried that he's ruined their lives and the lives of everybody else who he's holding money for. Yeah. And, it's harder to create conflict in a movie that has no villain because this movie has no villain. The villain right. is kind of weather <laughs> or um, maybe like uselessness. It's like that problem that you have in the fifties of like, you know, having enough money and owning an inn, like a really <laughs> nice inn in Vermont and not being able to have a, a the job that you want. Kind of, which is more. Oh, of a, it's more dire than that. It's a. It's, he will lose that in, and if he loses that in, he loses everything. I guess he sunk his pension into it. I know. I know. No it, retirement. It. It just. I think the uh, the hard thing about like the 1950s is everything seems so clean and beautiful in the way it's filmed, and so I'm not so worried about the grandpa, the general, because I'm like, you'll be fine. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think that's what the that's what no, this logically, movie is saying. Logically, I know that's not what's happening. I'm saying the ephemera around him is making it seem like it's not that dire because we're in this light musical, right? We're not watching, um, you know, an Italian neorealist film. No, no, no but even gonna... even in a musical like let's say a Baz Luhrmann, like a Moulin Rouge, yeah, um, like if. That's that's definitely more proletariat musical well, <laughs> happening. Yeah, but like the the drama is is much more harshly felt. And in this one, if he can't, you know, get a job, um, because like everything's fixed by them money wise. Like <laughs> I could just imagine him being like, "I can't get a job. I'm I'm already fifty five. Yeah. Like Danny Kaye and Bing, uh, Bing Crosby fixed the money thing as soon as they put on their show. Right. Right. So that's all done. And like the, the problem at the back half is um, Rosemary Clooney doesn't trust Bing Crosby and uh, the general is feeling useless. Yeah. So really this, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's not huge stakes, but we're there no. because we like the characters right. so much. The, the stakes in like a Moulin Rouge is far more like seedier and far more like gripping because it's like, Ugh, like, yeah, like, like we need this patron and if he doesn't give us money, that's going to suck. Plus tuberculosis, tuberculosis is happening. Uh, and you know, this guy also wants to kill this guy. Yeah. It's no, a lot. this, and that's, you know, in Baz Luhrmann territory, that's more opera or yeah. operetta territory. Yes. And a movie like white Christmas is kind of happily not opera. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's very much like staying in its lane and it's like, I'm here to make you feel good. That's that's yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah, and that's as bad as things are going to get is you, you lose <laughs> as, your pension. As is evidenced by the the dancer that dances opposite Vera Ellen. He looks like the the lead dancer slash choreographer for their troupe who always has a smile on his face. Yeah. I think that's just how his face looks. Yeah. <laughs> but as, as a kid, I was like, stop it. Stop smiling. <laughs> Why are you smiling? Why are you smiling so much? Uh, this, is, this is kind of also the um, Rosetta Stone for all future Hallmark Christmas films. 
because it's always about some wonderful community that needs help and protagonist is there to help. Right. So it's a it's a doomed inn, it's a doomed uh town, it's a doomed Or the protagonist needs help and somebody comes in doomed. and helps them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's as bad as things are gonna get is yeah. like if I don't get this thing, then I won't have a job. Or you know <laughs> But luckily there's social security, so I'm if fine. If I if I don't do this thing, this motorcycle museum's gonna close. No. A motorcycle for Christmas. <laughs> this motorcycle museum is so important to the community. I know. Uh, my dad was a motorcycle i I caught a couple of the hallmark christmas movies when i was visiting robin's mom and were they just watching it like intentionally no nothing against people watching hallmark movies intentionally there's a lot of fun ones out there i'm sure but it is a shorthand for wowzers it's uh when when i'm in a room watching a hallmark movie unless it's like my intent to go there for a like a reason mainly this podcast I have a really hard time keeping a straight face, whether laughing or putting my head in my hands. Most of this movie is not me watching the movie anymore. It's me just staring at it, trying to keep a straight face. You know, but there is something to be said about having a pleasant movie like White Christmas in the the first place is that the stakes aren't drastic. The stakes are enough for us to care. Right. We don't need every movie to be Family Stone where right. it's like heavy. Yeah. This movie is one of those movies that you can go to and find like simple joy and warmth <laughs> where like the biggest thing that happens is, I mean, the scariest, saddest, most dramatic thing that actually happens is Rosemary Clooney singing a song kind of <laughs> at Bing Crosby, but not wanting to sing it. Yeah. That's it. And <laughs> Like I'm watching and I'm like checking in with myself. I'm like, you know, I'm worried, but I'm not too worried. <laughs> and that's how this movie drama gets you. What was the first time you saw this movie? I was about three and a half. Yeah. For me too. I, how many times do you think you've seen it? Actually, I'm guessing that three and a half because uh, the earliest memory of the movie was actually the VHS cover. Yep. Me too. And I know exactly where it lives on the shelf at my grandma's house right now. And it's right next to Riverdance 2000. And Gosh. on the other side of that is a VeggieTales videotape. So I actually don't remember the movie. I only remember the VHS tape living there. Um, thank you, Ryan. I uh, Did that answer your question? I don't know. I forgot the question. <laughs> uh, but what I, what I want to get into the... Com- a couple things I want to talk about still besides the dance numbers is mm-hmm. I, I want you to, to talk to me about respect. Oh, okay. So this movie culminates in them putting on the show for the general. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing is a surprise. And that's one of the big things. And there's a lovely little thing where they need to keep the general away from the television when Bing is making his appeal to get mm-hmm. all the army buddies to come out to Vermont to uh, surprise the general. So Danny Kaye's got to fake break his leg. and Do you think he's the best physical actor that's ever lived? Yeah. he's. I mean, he's he's got to be in top 10, Like, right? I'm watching him, and I know he didn't break his leg. But I still, at one point in time, I'm like, oh, man. He's like, ow, ow. ow. And, and the faces he makes, the, like, contort, like, he almost has a Jim Carrey sense of, like, where to put his features. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen The Court Jester? Yes. Is it good? It is one of my favorite comedies. Oh, Get it? Got it. Good. Got it. 
the I'll vessel get, and the pestle. I'll like, get the. Uh, it's it's unendlessly it's endlessly quotable. I'll get the Blu-ray. Please, we should watch it together. Okay, so the they finally uh, they get all the army buddies there. The general thinks it's still empty, and they open the doors, and he finds his great hall filled with all of these army guys mm-hmm. who were under his command. Previous to this. I put it in my pocket. I said, there's a close-up in this movie, and I want to talk about it. I'm going to bring it out now. Oh. Here. Do you Whoa, have it? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's nice. Can you describe it for me, though? I can't. Yeah, yeah, let me describe I, I don't it really you. have the words. So the they the family members, well, his granddaughter and the- um, The innkeeper. The innkeeper lady. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, conniving, they're conniving to have him wear his uh, general's uniform. Mm-hmm. And- <laughs> <laughs> they send I off, love how she does that by the way yeah they send off his other suits and he's like how could you send off my two, my suits and she's like you've only got two and and he's like uh, he 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 makes some comment about how um you know he never had problems like this in the army and she's like well you, you had five or fifteen thousand people taking the place of me and it's just like <laughs> such a good Mary Mary Wicks line that's yeah. her name so he has no choice but to wear his uniform, which he feels sheepish about, mm-hmm. because he has to go to this dinner where he thinks no one's there, and he needs to wear a dinner suit because it's, you know... The because fi- it's 1950s. It's the 50s. And he's like, fine, I'll wear my army uniform, which I haven't worn in years. He, we're, we're downstairs, uh-huh. and he comes down the stairs, and the only character in the room right now is his granddaughter. Yes. And this is one of the only close-ups in the entire film. When she looks at him. Is when she looks at her grandfather. And it's with such admiration. What you're seeing on her face is pride and admiration and respect. But I think the biggest thing is that she's so proud to see this guy. Yeah, it's a it's a tear-jerky kind of moment. Her where... Her grandpa... And she's so proud to see him and, in uniform. And this girl is, um, her name is in the movie. What is her name? Um, Susan. She's Susan Waverly played by Anne Whitfield. She, you don't really get to know her super well. She's just kind of there and she's happy to be there. And she's like helping serve them food every once in a while or connect phones for them. But she's just planted in there like a little tear bomb. Mm-hmm. where it's like you can tell she really loves her grandpa and we don't know much about her inner life but we get enough through this look that her inner life is at least wanting her grandpa to be happy and when she sees him you know pridefully stepping down those stairs she is just so happy and it could be looked at as saccharine but it never reads like that no. to me and again this is uh uh michael curtis being so deft it's He's not breaking the mold. He's not trying anything fancy. He's just doing a good couple of shots. He's letting moments land. Yep. So this carries us into the sequence Mm -hmm. where, you know, what she's proud of is that she gets to see her grandpa in his prime. And, you know, and she also knows what's coming up, which is like this big surprise. Yeah. But she sees like his his identity is so tied to his career in Mm -hmm. the army. And it's like this is him finally, you know, being himself again. Because, you know, the innkeeper thing that's new for him, he's, he's not super comfortable with it, but he's, he's most comfortable as being in the army. And we sweep into the next scene of he opens the door, he thinks no one's going to be there, but he gets greeted by just rousing applause mm-hmm. for the general. And that's, that's all based on respect. Yeah. All these men in this hall just are, are showing him how much they love and respect him. 
Yeah, they and you know, I think um the greatest generation is known, especially those who are vets are kind of known for not necessarily talking a lot about like the struggles of the war. Right. Um, unless they're with their buddies. Um, and this felt kind of like, like Bing Crosby and Bob Hope, lots of people, but Bing Crosby and Bob Hope did a lot of, um, USO shows Mm -hmm. for the army in, in the war. And I feel like this is both the writer, the director and Bing Crosby's and maybe to a certain extent, the other actors and uh, Irving Berlin's kind of thank you Mm -hmm. to everybody who served in that war. Yeah. Where it's like you, like we have this character of the general who kind of represents the military Mm -hmm. and saying, you know, you're back home now. And we like this movie, like, it just feels like a love letter and it's like, Hey, 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 we respect you yep. and all of you who, you know, were in the military and like, you know, put your lives on the line. Yep. And so this scene proceeds and everyone's lined up for inspection and he gets to, he gets to run inspection mm-hmm. and he's just so happy to be there just yelling at these guys and just giving them shit and like straighten that tie, do this. It's just, it's, he's this has like kind ball. of a filial love. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like if we're talking about love in this movie, there's, you know, there's our, our romance between our, our leads is what we're focusing on most of the time. But I think the respect between that Danny Kay and Bob or Bing, Bing Crosby have for, um, the general kind of almost supersedes that mm-hmm. it's, it's at least far more important in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, they they put on a show for him. They give him a cake, and uh, you know they they sing White and Christmas, and yeah. that's our film. And it, it's a really a special film. But I think throughout the film, for me, the quality that was brimming, and almost all the scenes was respect. Mm-hmm. How do we respect one another? I feel like that comes through in the way it was set up as well, uh, where you have each of these. <laughs> You have each of these actors and performers um, with our our main four leads given moments to shine, right? Whether it's um, Danny Kaye being like given goofy comedic moments or like really fun dance uh, scenes like choreography. That's that's, even though it it like really showcases Vera Ellen's tap dancing, Vera Ellen's tap dancing. It it also is like all about like Danny Kaye moving his body and like making weird faces and like giving like 110%. And then Vera Ellen, her dancing is all over the place, just like highlighted. And then like even Rosemary Clooney, like they're like, we're going to give you your own song where you just get to like show off like the delicacy and richness of your voice. And then of course, Bing Crosby gets to sing white Christmas at the beginning of the movie. And it seems like we're, they're saying like, these people are all extremely good. We're going to lift each one of them up on a pedestal and give them their time. Yeah. And this is, this is more in the mold of a Christmas pageant. The only thing that's missing from it is a gospel reading. Uh, but otherwise, <laughs> right. It's, it's kind of, uh, Charlie Brown Christmassy. Yeah. It, it's this community coming together and just entertaining one another mm-hmm. and putting on a show for each other, uh-huh. um, out of goodwill towards one another. Um, you know, there's, there's other things like money and bringing people in and bringing all that in, but otherwise it's, it's just such a, it's so rousing. It's rousing and it's wholesome. And like, it really, there, 
this is a two hour movie. And sometimes for rom-coms that can really drag, but this movie, I never get tired. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's times Robin, Robin says that whenever snow comes on and she hears Bing Crosby's voice, she starts falling asleep. (laughs) I get that. But over the course, because he's kind of your grandpa singing to you. It's like snow, snow. Um, but the, the movie just is a pep in a step and so full of heart. And I was really looking to like, there's, there's things to criticize about this film that I'm probably going to leave off of this podcast. Cause it's Christmas and <laughs> I've feel like we've done enough of that this season. Um, I, I think a funny one is like, well, that would really was a really white Christmas. Like, yeah, sure. Fair that, that point. That was going to be one of the ones. Fair point. 1950s Hollywood. Yeah. This movie uh, is, you know, it's kind of an American classic. And it, um, while it does have some faults like being an extremely white film, um, it is also extremely good. I think uh, something, a quality in the film that I really appreciate just being around for two hours was the wholesomeness to it. Mm-hmm. And usually that's saccharine. Yeah. Usually that's Hallmark and it's phony, right? Yeah. And that's what we don't like is that people are being, you know, when you go into a, uh, well, I haven't been able to do this in a year, but usually people go to places. Um, <laughs> I've heard of this. Yeah. Stores, restaurants, coffee They're the shops. ones with the doors, right? Yeah. That you go in and there's people. You know, when you go into certain like retail stores and you get greeted by someone really happy to see you and it's just like, you aren't this genuinely happy to see me. You are a stranger to me and I, you, you're just being paid to be this nice towards me. And so I get this like phoniness detector, like ringing around in my head Mm -hmm. and I don't like feeling like that. I don't like having that detector on. Sure. But what I see on screen, the way the these characters treat each other, it's that level of vibrancy that doesn't feel phony. It yeah, feels super real. Sincere is the word I'd use. Right. Yeah. Very sincere. Like this this movie, um this movie does something that I think it's one of the best things about 1950s movies is it's never winking at the camera. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's some in jokes for sure. Um, but the like even down to like a lot of Bing Crosby's like one liner bits of dialogue, he just wrote himself yeah. and it makes his character feel a little bit more like Bing Crosby. Yeah. And, and so it feels like I'm watching these people be themselves even more. Like he, he says he made up the word weirds mobile <laughs> in regards to Danny Kaye at one point in time. It's such a weirds mobile. I love it. Um, all right. Well, like, uh, Oh, tell me what your favorite, What's your favorite number? Like, if you just had to go back and watch one. Uh, definitely choreography. Mm-hmm. Because Danny Kay, I've seen this movie a million times, and he still makes me gut laugh. Just He's yeah. just making me laugh so much. And this is a really weird thing to bring up, but remember that night when I was at your house in Spokane, and me and your dad were watching um, the, not a Danny, Danny Kay thing, but it was uh, about... Um, the nutty professor with Jerry Lewis Lewis. Yeah. And you were off somewhere. You were on the phone. I was dealing with an ex-girlfriend. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But me and your dad were just on the couch, just laughing at these goofy sixties movies. Mm -hmm. And like for two hours straight, me and your dad were just having the stupidest laughs. Like, ho 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 ho. 
And that's how I was during the Danny Kaye bit. The theater, the theater. What's happened to the theater? Especially where dancing is concerned. Chaps. Yeah, yeah, he's he's got a really special talent at just disarming you yeah. with his comedy. And it doesn't feel like there's a lot of comedians where it's like you're trying to to be funny right now, but Danny Kaye is just funny. Yeah. Like he, he self-describes himself uh, early on in the movie as I'm funny in living rooms. And it's like, <laughs> there's, there's a certain kind of person that can say that about themselves. And that is in and of itself funny. Yeah. Like you haven't seen Marvelous Miss Maisel yet, right? No, yeah. She's, She's like another one of those people who's just always kind of funny. Yeah. Um, and the two of them are kind of akin to me. But what's great about the bit is that he's kind of making fun of modernism. Mm-hmm. And I think it's Hollywood making fun of modernism because being Crosby, you know, he got started in the 30s. And so and so did Michael Curtiz. So a lot of these filmmakers got started in the 30s when, you know, it was more about a more classical structure of, you know, doing storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the 50s started and you had a new generation where, you know, in acting you had, you know, like James Dean, Marlon Brando. You had a new modernist sure. like push uh, on how to do art and how to do storytelling. And this is Hollywood's just like. Ugh, and just trying to make fun of it. <laughs> I, I think that um, they, they kind of like, there's something classic about this musical. And I think, again, I'm going to go back to the way it succeeds at being a musical is it highlights the voice. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of dance numbers where they're just like dancing, but um, whenever there is a song involved, the, vocals are so well balanced with the uh, music that's backing it up and the vocals not only balanced but they're like highlighted to yeah. the extreme which is a very old-fashioned way of doing things and I honestly think it's the best way to do musicals because we need to if you're if you're making a musical you want two things to happen you want people to understand these characters through the music mm-hmm and part of that is physical, but the other part of it is lyrical. Like it has to be like an actual verbal. I understand what you're going through based on the words that you're saying. Yeah. And the other half is you need them to remember these songs afterwards. So they want to come back and sing these songs. And as they say, people don't go home singing the lights. They sing the songs or something like that. I, if, if you just made that up, you're a genius. <laughs> no, I didn't. Okay. Um, but the, uh, in mo- a lot of modern music, not a lot of modern musicals. Ugh, that's a big statement. The in a lo- couple of musicals that I've seen recently, and Jingle Jangle was one of them. The music, I, 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 there, there were no songs in there where I there was like a melody. Well, there was, there were a couple, but there, there weren't a lot of songs in there that I could like sing afterwards. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't understand what they were saying half the time because it was like music, bombastic spectacle. And like the vocals felt like, like they were just another instrument. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think maybe a band member would like that, but uh, me as an audience member, I like, I want to know what you're singing and I want to be able to sing this afterwards. And so that's why I'm, I gravitate a lot towards like lyrical musicals. Well, do you know who else understood this? Were the executives at Disney in the late eighties and early nineties? Sure. Yeah. Certain as the sun Rising in the east 
tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme, Beauty and the Beast. Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, they spent a lot of time investing in music and lyrics so that that could be not only the storytelling got carried forward, but all that merchandising, all those CD sales, all those cassette tapes, all those... All that merchandise. You know, I'm going to connect the Disney to um, Lin Manuel Miranda. Uh-huh. Okay, because I think that's what they're investing in now. Right. I think one thing that, uh, like, I I just kind of like railed against you know a newer style musical, and he is basically the forerunner of that. But there's something about Hamilton and actually uh, quite a few songs in Moana that he like really gets me singing along with. Oh, well, No, that's fine. If, if, you, if you didn't really like Moana, that's fine. But there are some songs in there that I can sing along to. Um, not as much as in the 90s, because it's moving away from like like classical melodies, like backed by horns and strings. Um, but like in Hamilton, I can sing along with those because the vocals are the most important part. And yeah, we're also leaving out the most important musical moment from the past decade. From a Disney movie. What? Let it go. Let it go. One of the biggest earwigs for all kids mm-hmm. across the country. They couldn't get over that song. Yeah, some some parents are like, you guys are praising this. <laughs> why? <laughs> but that is an example of why that movie works so well is that right. these kids could not stop singing the song and white Christmas does this really well. Like there's, there's songs that are just in your head. Mm-hmm. Like even if you don't know the whole song, you're you, all you want to say is choreography. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's helped along by the fact that white Christmas was a hit for like 10 years. Yeah. And it was this. basically a standard yeah. already. Um, well, right. Well, what about, no, what about you? What was your favorite musical sequence? I, I go back and forth on this all the time because like they're, they're all so good. Um, not the one with the, like it's an extremely impressive piece. The, the follies one that they do with all of the tambourines with faces on them. Oh yeah. Robin was calling them demon faces. (laughs) Um, I really like, it's gotta be choreography for me. Oh yeah. It's the best. No, it's taken. Um, well then, this time I'm going to say, I'm going to say you done me wrong. Yeah. Love, you didn't do right by me. You planned a romance that just hadn't a chance and I'm through. Love, you didn't just because I want to talk about it, um, you've got Rosemary Clooney in a black dress. She's been hurt and she's talking about, she's singing a song about it. And she's just got these four 
dudes. Like, also wearing mod clothing. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it feels like they're very aware of at least modern sensibilities um, right now when they're making this movie. And these, these guys in turtlenecks are just like fawning over her. And the camera does some really interesting stuff where it'll just drift just enough to get somebody in the frame when they pop in. And then they'll disappear and it'll drift back another way and somebody else will pop in the frame. Mm-hmm. And it'll go backwards and forwards. They had, they had this... Um, camera on like a jib crane and uh, you know you can just like feel the guy going forward and backwards with this shot and it feels like there's there's some musicals that the camera is one of the dancers Yep. and this is one of those musicals and I feel like even though it's a very subtle version of that um, like the amount of rehearsals that they'd have to go through in order to like get these just right so that the framing was perfect is very impressive to me. Yeah. Uh, also, this beautiful dress is designed by... Edith Head. One of the great Hollywood costumers. Edna Mould. If you've seen The Incredibles, Edna Mould is based on her. This is our second Incredibles reference in two episodes. Well, blamo. Blamo. Uh, Edith Head designed for uh, all the Alfred Hitchcock films of the uh-huh. 50s. Uh, she designed for uh, Grace Kelly. She just... All the great, elegant Hollywood style is thanks to her. Oh, and also our cat is named after her. Yeah, Edith. Edith, little Edith. And and your other cat is named after? Alma Revel, Alfred Hitchcock's wife. Yeah, so. And co-screenwriter. You know, I need to reverse that. Alfred Hitchcock's co-screenwriter and wife. Because you know what? She should be remembered as coming up with most of the ideas in Alfred Hitchcock movies. Sure. Uh, on that note, uh, Danny Kaye's wife sylvia fine actually wrote a lot of his songs ah. um uh she wrote she was a songwriter and teacher and she worked on court jester so a lot of the songs and okay. like witticisms in that are from her the last thing i want to remark about this film mm-hmm. globally is it looks gorgeous yeah let's talk about vista vision for a second because it was, was shot in vista vision Have you ever seen this in like any any of the widescreen formats that it's been like uh, remastered in? Like in theaters? Yeah. Oh, like a film projection of Vista Vision? Yes. Oh, I don't. I haven't. I, I have. Watched. You went to the it Hollywood? Was, it was in the update. No, it was actually out in Beaverton. Um, it was in an updated uh, version because so Vista Vision for everybody out there is basically they took 35 millimeter film and turned it horizontal in order to get like basically a, a, a wider format. It's still only 1.5 to one, which is the ratio of the height and the width of um, what you're watching. So if you're out at the theater and you're watching movies these days, it's generally a, like a 1.85 to one. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty wide screen. But but the the advantage is you have more detail in the, in the film. So right. there's more information on screen in every mm-hmm. frame. And not only that, but like there's... Uh, like, I mean, today they're still doing that. Like IMAX took 70 millimeter right. and, and turned that. that horizontally. And so like, it's still happening today. Yeah. But if you ever have an opportunity when they're doing the tour of white Christmas to go watch it in theaters on Vista vision, it's, I, I think it's technically an updated version of that. Uh-huh. Like they've probably done copies, but it, the colors are vivid. Like the, I'm sure the, the gray pants that, um, 
that Bing Crosby wears at the end of this film when, when they're doing the, like the, um, wish I was back in the army bits uh-huh. are blue. They're like a, uh-huh. a solid gray blue compared mm-hmm. to like the gray that you saw on, on your DVD. Yeah. And this is, uh, <clears throat> I have no other thoughts. <laughs> uh, well then what's your rom-com Oscar? Um, I, well, this is, this is, I, I should probably well, then be go specific. more specific. I'll it. be, yeah. I'll be more specific. I can read your thoughts. Let's say, okay, this way I can talk about it. Best dance number. And I'm going with Vera Ellen's number in the, uh, tambourine game. Oh yeah. Okay. What do they call her? Like they call her like Mandy or something. Mandy. Yeah. Mandy. I think that's the name of the song. This is a minister, Andy. So when I watch this movie every year with Sarah, that's her favorite scene. Mm. Um, She adores Vera Ellen's athleticism. Oh my gosh, is she athletic. And I think it's something that should be celebrated. And mostly I'm just picking it um, because I want to pay tribute to my wife's taste. That's great. Yeah. Like, I mean, Sarah's got good taste and that's a good scene. Um, there, so Vera Ellen does, she does, like in this movie, she does ballroom. Mm-hmm. She does tap. Yep. She even does like some moves that feel ballet because she's yes. so flexible. But this sequence, she's doing gymnastics. <laughs> yeah. She, uh, you're talking about the dive when she like yeah. jumps down the stairwell. And she's just smiling as she's thrown into a pit of men. <laughs> Um, it's amazing. She flips, she kick, she does Trinity kicks, uh, like from the matrix over her head. Butterfly kicks. Like you, you've got to want, she's a, she's an absolute like athletic twig. Like she is super skinny, but only because she is really athletic. Yeah. And she is, um, I can only imagine that she's like one of those, like you'll see a martial artist who is extremely skinny and yet is super strong. I feel like she could kill everybody. <laughs> like Ooh. she's just she's she's so athletic that I just don't know, I don't know if anybody could touch her. Her versus Keanu. Who would win? I think Vera Ellen's got this. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with those heels. Oh yeah. Ouch. Woo! Um I'm going to give this movie best face. <laughs> Nice face. Danny Kay has, the I think, best face. one of the greatest faces in Hollywood. And um, whether he's like laughing and doing his oh, 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 <laughs> or he um, like <laughs> the time where uh, Bing Crosby um, is is trying to like he, he's bringing everybody back for gosh. And I wish I wish I worked for a boss who would bring me back for holiday pay and bonuses and stuff, but he gets the number and Danny Kaye's on the other side of that, like a three-way phone conversation. He's like, how much? And he's Bing's like, it's right in the middle between ouch and boing. (laughs) (laughs) And Danny Kaye's like scared face. It it just, it tickles me so much. Like I, I, I don't know if there's another actor that makes me happier to watch. Donald O'Connor. Donald O'Connor is great. He's got a great face, but and I want to see a face off between Donald O'Connor yeah, sure. and Danny Kay. Sure. Um, yeah, that would be great. I, I like Danny Kay's face just cause there's like a, there's a warmth 
there that I feel like Donald O'Connor might've been a scrappy, um, newsy at one point in time yeah. where he's, he's a little bit more hard bitten. Yeah. But just barely. Yeah. Um, ask me the really important question. Hey, why don't you ask me for once? Come on. This is a two way relationship, man. It's a codependent relationship. Sure. It is. We can't do this without each other. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know who would you fall in love with? Are there any circumstances in which uh, the two of you might be more than just good friends. The truth of it is, I loved you from the first second I met you. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. You have bewitched me, body and soul. And I love, and love, and love you. I know. <laughs> um... Well, this is hard for me um, because Rosemary Clooney is beautiful. Uh, did you know she was 26 in this film and Vera Ellen's 33? I don't want to sound mean, but I definitely think it's the opposite. I know. if There's something about um, their faces where one feels more mature and the other one feels more like young and angelic. But like Bing is like 50? It's 51. So... There's something that doesn't feel creepy about their romance. Well, because Bing feels like he's the same age. Like they, they just seem appropriate. Yeah. They, they look like he seems tops five years older than her. But when you get Jimmy Stewart and Kim Novak. Yeah. That doesn't look right. (laughs) Um, Well, for me, it's between Vera Ellen and Danny Kaye. On the one hand, I'm very attracted to Vera Ellen, but on the other hand, Danny Kay is like kind of the best. He makes you really happy, and you should be with someone who makes you really happy. Well, Vera Ellen could make me happy in other ways. Ooh. I think I'm going to go Danny Kay, though. Danny Kay. Yeah. You've already sung his praises, so I get it. Yeah. What about you? I'm going with Vera Ellen. Hey, you just didn't want me to take Vera Ellen. That's right. You son of a bitch. I'm picking Vera Ellen. Because I'm going to take her home with me and we're like, Sarah, see who agreed to be with us. And Sarah's like, "Woo!" <laughs> you heard it here. Ryan's <laughs> Ryan's plan for a threesome, <laughs> but it involves a time machine with VRL. She, um, I feel like just watching her move around the house. Like if you guys like lived together would just be a treat. Yeah. <laughs> because she, even when she's not dancing, she feels like she's gliding. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and I would I would have six pack abs because Donald O'Connor would never make me stop laughing. <laughs> or sorry, Danny Kay. Um, Donald O'Connor can come too. Yeah, sure, he can he can come over. We'll have a party. Uh, well, uh, I think that's about it. Was there anything I missed? Well, I just want to in in terms of closing out this film, I do want to just say this has been a very caustic year. Yes. Um, twenty twenty has seen the pandemic. It has seen uh very uh very important protests it has come with a fiery election it has come with um political divisiveness that has just been so destructive and the rhetoric from all sides has been very caustic and i think we all can say i tried not to be a part of it but i think i probably got my foot caught in it once or twice even the best of us uh, got caught up in the causticness of the year. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say having a movie like white Christmas 
gives me hope because people, the people in White Christmas had to work at this attitude that they brought towards one another. It wasn't like, it wasn't like the default was just like, well, we're just going to be pleasant towards each other. Because if you watch other 1950s movies, that's not the case. If you watch another Hitchcock movie, like in the 50s, well, it's not White Christmas kind of content in the first place. It's usually there's a murder. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not super cheery towards one another in other other 1950s movies. So this this people put an effort in to be this pleasant towards one another. And mm-hmm. people put, this whole movie is about people putting an effort into being respectful towards one another. And uh, I think on, on that note, um, maybe, maybe a thank you is in order because, you know, it's Christmas. It's a, it's a time of giving and generosity. And we want to give thanks to everybody out there who we're trying to work for the good of everybody. Like, you know, we, we might've all gotten caustic at some point in time. Um, but I know that a lot of people out there were trying to also work for the good of their country or the good of their neighbors or, and might not have gotten a lot of praise for it and, or may have, but thank you for trying to be kind to one another. And thank you for trying to do good work. And if you weren't kind, but you were still trying to do good work and you were just trying your best, Thanks for trying your best. Yeah. And I I just, you know, I want to say, let's take a note from this movie Mm -hmm. and we can be good people towards one another, but it takes a daily effort. Yeah. And I'm taking up the challenge. I know I'm not going to be perfect at it, but I want to be good towards my fellow person and I hope other people can take that up. High five. I agree. I take up this challenge. If you want to join the rom-com gents in our our challenge of kindness and being there for your fellow person in an active way, come join us. Join us. Um, <laughs> speaking of joining us. Speaking of joining us, um, come follow us on Instagram <laughs> or Facebook at rom-com gents. Um, speaking of commercialism. I mean, send us... Um, Send us your own Christmas present. If you've really um, gotten something out of uh, the rom-com gents this year, uh, hopefully we'll be doing it for many more years. Um, we, we've got an email that you can email us and like let us know how we've done or what you've liked about us or you know what you're looking for. Uh, email us at romcomgents at gmail.com or leave us a review. Um, there's lots of apps out there that have reviews. Overcast is one of them, Apple Podcasts. Um, and we'd love to we'd love to hear from you and get your stars if you if you got them for us. That would be the best Christmas gift. If you can give us a good review, that would be that would warm my heart. And I, I don't want to overpromise here, but um, I'm trying to we're trying to get a, a website together uh, probably by the new year. Uh, where you can actually come and and read our reviews of movies and kind of um, get our our take and it's just gonna eventually going to be a compendium of rom-coms mm-hmm. and uh, it's gonna be pretty cool so check that out when it comes uh, we'll let you know <laughs> I want to have an on-air production meeting um, I like on air well, yeah me too uh, uh, it's it's uh it's uh love notes I kind of want to start a new series within our podcast and i want to call it not quite a rom-com where we do a film that is so close to being a rom-com but the central premise is not rom-com that you can't call it a rom-com but in all other ways it feels like a rom-com okay give me an example uh waking the divine this is not the film I wanted to do, but Waking Dead Divine feels like a rom-com because it gives you the warm fuzzies, okay, but so it's there's, not... there's like a romance to it. But it's not 
either the romance in it isn't enough to carry the rom-com mantle. And I'm not talking about, I'm talking about a sense of romance. Yeah, yeah. But there's something, there's something, something so affable about waking and divine. And it's about this friendship and mm-hmm. it's about this tenderness that I would still call it not quite a rom-com. And I think it would be fair game in our not quite a rom-com series. Hmm. I mean, those might be good bonus episodes. Right. So what I'm proposing is, mm-hmm. since it's New Year's, I want to do, in the first line of this, a, 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 a film that we can do for That Thing You Do Year's Eve. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm down for that. That Thing You Do Year's Eve. Which and- <laughs> I feel like all our bonus episodes have been Tom Hanks related. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, it's a good way to kick it off. Sure. But this can be this can be a freebie bonus episode. And I guess we'll let the cat out of the bag right now is that we are thinking about doing a Patreon and we're thinking mm-hmm. of doing bonus content for any patrons who want to be patronizing us. And I, I mean, I don't want to, you know, <clears throat> I don't knock on wood here, but um, we're also talking to a couple networks at the moment. Uh-huh. Uh, I. Uh, We'll have an off-air production meeting about that, um, and uh, but that's not our next movie, right? No, no. But you you are on, you are on board for oh, that thing you do. Your yeah, Z's. let's let's try it out, shall we? That thing you do. We'll, your we'll see if we'll see if the the people like it or if they start bringing torches outside well, of our, again, our it, recording studio. It must be labeled not quite a rom com. Not quite a rom com. But it. You know what else we've done? We've done films in the this podcast currently that also fits that label. Yeah, I feel like um, Father the Bride, not quite a rom com. Same thing with Brokeback Mountain, not, not quite close a, rom- a rom com. But we 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 do romance films, yes. and I, I feel like your your wife of all people is the one who gives us the most shit about it. It's like <laughs> that's not a rom com. We're like, oh no, there's and we're like some- Jurassic Park has some. Thing, thing to sink your teeth into. Mm, I see what you did there. Uh, no, that yes. So we'll, we'll give it a shot. Love finds a way. <laughs> I would love to love Jeff Goldblum. Do you want to do love actually next week? I thought we were going to say the holiday. Oh, that's right. Let's do the holiday. All right, we'll do the holiday next week. Sorry, Richard Curtis lovers, but we're doing the holiday. Get out of here. I was messaging another rom-com. I, sorry, other rom-com people. I was talking to you about this, but I was there doing Love Actually next week. And uh, they were doing a quiz of like, guess the movie we're doing. I'm like, Love Actually. Uh, and I'm like, I messaged them back. I'm like, it's a classic. They're like, is it? I'm like, uh, 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 I thought so. Well, no, I mean, I know... Um, I, I listened to a couple podcasts actually on Love Actually at this point in time, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's getting a pretty harsh look. Um, I mean, they, Aaron, Aaron with her book, uh, yeah, she uh-huh. she is a very Aaron Carlson. She has a very deft criticism of the men are heroes and the women are losers in that movie. <laughs> Not losers, losers, but like the men get to be the big people and right. the women are just kind of recipients of you know grand romantic gestures or the recipients of bad luck. Yeah. Or, you know, bad gestures. Right. Um, so, fair point. Fair yeah, yeah, point. fair point. So, we're going to do The Holiday, which isn't mired in that But malarkey. it's our third double couple movie in a row. Ooh. Because we had Family Stone. Well, that was like a quadruple couple. No, was, well, oh, yeah, you're right. There was a lot of couples in that movie. But, like, the central will they, won't they couples. Because like, there's couples that are already together in that movie with, like, Thad and... Yeah. Um, and Brian White and the, the mom and dad. But we had two couples. And then this movie... 
Two couples. Next movie, two couples. Maybe it's just Christmas movies. Hey, before I forget, Entertainment Weekly just dropped a new interview with the cast of The Family Stone. So go to Entertainment Weekly and go check that it's out. It's really good. Yeah, check yeah. that out. Uh, so yeah, next week uh, for Christmas Eve, we're dropping this. Yes. Uh, the Holiday, Nancy Myers, Kate Winslet, Jack Black, Jude Law, Cameron Diaz, Bonanza. Mr. Napkinhead. <laughs> Mr. Napkinhead Bonanza. Um, and the week after that, that thing you do. Year's Eve. Uh, for not quite a rom-com. For not, we'll give it a try. We'll give it a try. Um, Ryan, I just want 45 minutes all to myself. I think you have the most funny faces out there. Thank you. <laughs> I think. I love you. And I love you. Bye. Bye. <clears throat> and this is where we will say a goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. So see you next week on the Gentleman's Guide. To rom-coms. <laughs>